This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, the second time around is better than the first, and how often do you get to say that? Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kinda like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. This is episode 101. Somehow we did that many. My name is Brian and this week my friends Chris and Eric will join me for a discussion about sequels that were better than the originals. Now, um, you'd, you'd think that that would be easier, but it turns out it it's not. Uh, we made ourselves a rule that said we, we didn't get to pick The Empire Strikes Back or The Godfather Part 2 because those were just a little too obvious, and once you get past that, it's like, well, what do we want to talk about? So we're going to get into that this week. We're going to each pick a sequel that we think was superior to the first movie. Uh, if you agree with our picks, if you disagree with our picks, if you'd like to suggest a different kind of show, uh, first of all, rate the podcast. Just go in your podcast app, click the little five-star thing, get that done. Second of all, click share. Just throw it on your feeds and your social media, you know, you do that all the time for all kinds of stuff, so just click it. Okay, you did those two things? Cool. Now, if you want to suggest that other stuff, you can find ways to contact us on our website, maghuge.com. That's M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. There you'll find a link to our Twitter feed. We are at maghuge. You'll find our Facebook page, where we're the Magnificently Huge podcast. You'll find our Instagram, and you'll find a link to email us. We are magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. All right. We're past the century mark. Let's do this! How's everybody this week? It's been a week since we've last spoken. Seven days. It has. Uh, how are y'all? I'm doing all right. been Good. weird. It, it's not 110 today, so I'm happy. I think, yeah, where I live is picked up that heat waves. Thanks. Uh, Yay! And then I also, yeah. I, I pinched a nerve in my neck this week, uh, down my shoulder, so... Uh, I've been all hinky and in pain. Uh, so yeah, that's been, yeah, we had a couple of days that were a little chilly and I had to put on a sweater. So I guess it sucked for everyone, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially you. Dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, Eric works for a company that sells fleece. So yeah. I don't feel bad yeah. for it. And they charge too much for them. So they sort of fleece people on the, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Bam. Thanks for those okay. car payments. That's all I got to say. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, well, all right, man. So, uh, so what? What was this week's about? Just as a refresher for everyone at home. So this week we're going to get into. Um, my wife suggested this one also. Uh, this is sequels where the second film is actually superior to the first film. Excellent. Uh, which you'd think would be easier to do than it turns out to be. It was um, intensely hard and uh, I was not prepared for that. <laughs> when you, when you suggested <laughs> I went, sure. Yeah, no problem. And then I started looking at him like, this is really very difficult. So yeah, yeah most sequels make about 60% of the original. <clears throat> yeah. 
That's just economics. Actually, lately they've been making, the math is now they make more, which is maybe just inflation. I don't know. But we're going to get into that after we do our usual segment where we talk about uh, things we've been watching or doing. Uh, it's called The Fresh Shit. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. Who's got some fresh shit for us this week? I only got a book. Nobody cares about books. God damn books. I finished reading uh, Enemy at the Gates about the invasion of Stalingrad in World War II. And I'll just say, you know, we we, we make a big deal over D-Day and and how hard that was. But that, that was just like a bad hair day compared to Stalingrad. (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've really been getting into Stalingrad, and oh, that was rough. So that's the blurb <laughs> for the book: is makes D Day look like a bad hair day. Eric Reed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, Give an example. I mean, just, why? Just why is that, it? Why is it so much nastier? Well, the, the Germans bombed the shit out of a civilian town, so like most of the civilians of Stalingrad just died in the first day or two of the invasion uh all the buildings were rubble and there was street to street fighting for months um but what makes it funny because the bad part happens to nazis is that they could have won except hitler's a dumbass and they keep explaining all the things hitler does wrong so what, what ends up happening is is the the german army is encircled they get starved out and they get their asses handed to them over the course of months. And there's there's lengthy descriptions of the kinds of deaths that were witnessed. Because the book is basically, it's based on the interviews with survivors. I think it was written in 1969 or 1970. And so, yeah, memories were fresh. And yeah, and there's you- a lot of brains getting knocked out, cannibalism, um... Have you yeah. ever read, uh, there's another history called Inferno, the World at War, like 1939 to 45, no. uh, by a guy named Max Hastings. I would recommend that one because that basically does a lot of this, like the deeper cut uh, mm-hmm. bits of the war. I mean, it, get, it kind of glosses over the, the high points, you know, D-Day, et cetera, and gets into the brass tacks. And then when yeah. you read that, you're like, holy shit, the Russians basically won because they just had spite for everybody else in that war. And they were just yeah. determined to fuck everybody <laughs> in the end, no matter the cost. Yeah, <laughs> they so had crazy. numbers. There is a YouTube video. I'll, I'll try and link to it in the notes. Uh, it, it is a graphic analysis of the dead of World War II. Yeah. And you see, you know, it's like the Germans lost this many. The Americans lost this many. The Italians lost this many. The Russians fucking lost everybody i mean it's like a number that just goes sky high yeah it's staggering it is yeah 8.7 million is the official tally by the russian military a hotly disputed number some studies have calculated as many as 14 million dead but yeah if you liked the one you got i would recommend inferno as well (laughs) yeah okay we'll check that out the the uh, worth noting the movie enemy at the gates is based on some of the stories in the the book but it's just it's it's just the tip of the iceberg in, is that the in one terms with the of jude law as the sniper yeah okay yeah like okay. like there are all sorts of stories in the book that are in the movie that happen to other people that they they give to you know they make happen to jude law and rachel weist and i think that's her name right um but it's 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 just such a tiny part of the whole book and the book is a great read 
it, it actually reads like World War Z. Uh, it's it's an oral history, just jumping from character to character to character. Nice. And there's cannibalism in both. So <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't spell Stalingrad without the cannibalism. And there's all sorts of moments where it's like, well, the the moment you want to feel bad for the Nazis, they hit you up with something like, and uh, two German soldiers grabbed a uh, um, grabbed a baby from from some woman on the step, and they ripped it in half. Yeah, it's like, I've got I've got no sympathy okay, for any, them. Yeah, no sympathy for yeah. Nazis <laughs> in any shape or form. Fuck them. That's what I yeah. say. It's just the shit that happens to them is so bad. You go, oh Jesus, and then you yeah. go, oh wait, no, that's right. Well, that's oh, why I love- they got they got sent to a concentration camp. Oh boo hoo. Yeah. That's why I love when I read like, like a history like, like Inferno or the one you've got where they, they get a little more in depth. And when you read the stuff about how the Russians are closing in on Berlin and Hitler's basically soiling himself because yeah. it's like they, they know at that point it's like, oh, fuck, <laughs> we better get out of here. But if we don't, we better just put a bullet in our heads because shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's and there's all sorts of sort of blind love for Hitler that I'm just like, God, this is. I don't get this. You know how like all these educated normal people are still listening to this fool. Yeah. Um, but I am convinced like we always talk about how Trump is Hitler and that's just wrong. Trump is Stalin and yeah, I think history <laughs> will bear me out on that. Okay. An interesting hypothesis. Yep. Uh, I really hope we don't have to test it. Yeah. Just, okay, just so- in terms of marketing. <laughs> yeah. As far as propaganda. <laughs> so just- yeah, I agree. So just the the book this week then, Eric? Yeah, that's it, okay. really. Chris, what do you got? Uh, I got a big fat goose egg because I got a hinky neck and so wasn't doing much. Uh, but I will say this. Uh, today that we're recording, uh, which is August 11th, uh, 2019, this is the 38th birthday, official birthday of Ren and Stimpy. It debuted this year, or this day oh. in 1991. So I want to say happy birthday to Ren and Stimpy. A solid program. All right. Happy birthday, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. remember I, one of you two had taped that thing. We were watching it at Eric's house, like the, the original Fire Dogs episode in Space Madness. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I remember it. I don't remember. It must had, have been one of you. I had seen it in some sort of short film thing uh, when I lived in L.A. briefly. And then I saw it was coming to Nickelodeon. They actually made it a kid's show. I was like, that's insane. And so I was on board from the get-go. And so I waited and waited and waited for it to premiere on Nickelodeon, and I recorded it. And I knew as soon as I had the tape that I had to take it around to all you fuckers, because it's like, I am not going to be the only one who's not who's going to have watched this. I remember taking it to Eric's house. I woke him up like noon on Sunday, because uh, he likes to sleep late, because he stays up until dawn. And I put it in his VCR in his bedroom, and within seconds he was doing the eric laugh on the floor he could not catch his breath and i thought yeah this is a win ren and stimpy that was is a good show stay. yeah so until it wasn't until it wasn't yeah i don't know i always feel about ren and stimpy that it, it, it fell victim to second rat gets the cheese because basically spongebob squarepants is is the ren and stimpy show but it was the popular one yeah i don't well, know well and spongebob's sort of sanded off the rougher edges i don't think sure that is as interested in just being weird for the sake of being weird. You know what I mean? Whereas Ren and Stimpy was like, oh, fuck it. We'll just do whatever. Like the one where well, he's Kurt at the Felicity dentist. was seeing how much crap he could cram into like children's programming and get yeah. away with it, right? And he, and he influenced a lot. But uh, from Space Madness on down, man. But I remember 
going in Tempe. So this would have been right right around ninety one ish. Uh, went and saw the Jim Blossoms before they were a big deal when they were ew. still just a local band. And, and for that, we're still your friend, but you. <laughs> hey, this is before we knew any better. We're like, oh, Jim they're from around Blossoms. here. And uh, but they had the bar they were playing at had just Ren and Stimpy playing on a loop on a screen in the back, but no sound. And so I will always remember this watching the Jim Blossoms play. I don't remember any of the fucking songs. But it was the episode of Ren and Stimpy where they go to the dentist and Ren loses a tooth. And then it's like that little nerve thread sticking out of the gum hole and all of that. It's like, oh, my God. It's like you're watching it without sound, just going, what the fuck? And so yeah, I you were listening to it as the video to the Gin Blossoms, apparently. Yeah, yeah but I don't remember the song. Uh, so that will be indelibly linked. Uh, an, un- an unmemorable show of the Gin Blossoms versus Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. So. It must have been that 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 song of theirs that sucks, you know. <laughs> the one, any. the one, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, happy birthday, Ren Stimpy. It's uh, definitely an influential program on my life. Uh, All right, and so thank well, you. I can, I can, I've as usual, I've got too much fresh shit. Um, I can, I can piggyback on Eric's thing about how, hey, you know, you start to feel bad for the Nazis until they prove why you shouldn't. I think that theme runs straight through. I did watch on your recommendation all of the boys this week. Oh, yeah, good, right? good. <laughs> yeah, I started, I started reading the uh, the graphic novels uh, last week as well. It's a bit of a departure, but yeah, they got the spirit right for sure. Way darker too. Yeah. Oh fuck yeah, way darker. It's pretty dark. Uh, the end of season one is particularly dark. Uh, yeah, for yeah. the boys. Uh, that I, was I my think only we thing. Won't bother spoiling that. No, but. but I I do like that they left it open for the season two, which they got greenlit before this thing was even on. Apparently, so Amazon has faith in it. Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and say uh, what I thought was going to happen that didn't happen because that's not a spoiler. Okay. They seem to be setting up that so. The show revolves around this uh, Compound V, which the evil corporation, Vought Corporation, is using uh, to juice their superheroes, basically. And make them. They don't exist. Yeah, to make them. And there's a lot going on with Compound V. And there was a bit where, for a few episodes, Elizabeth Shue's evil um, executive character uh, was was, uh, pumping breast milk. And I thought. That what we were going to find out was that she was the source of Compound V, that it was her breast milk. So uh, like the, turns uh, out I was wrong. So like the mugwumps from Naked Lunch? That would be awesome. Something. I don't know. I thought, I thought that's where they were going because there was nice. a scene where like she's coddling one of the heroes and she's got this nail polish that's the same color as Compound V and like yeah. the guy gets soothed by sucking on her fingers and I'm like, that was, yeah, that's that where was, it's going. Have you, have you ever seen Little Britain at all? Any of those? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm aware it's, of it. <laughs> there's a sketch that they do where it's an older guy, goes home to visit, and then basically uh, ends up suckling on his mother's teat. But the dude's like in his oh. 30s, and it's preceded by, Bitty now! And then he suckles. And it, that scene in the boys <laughs> brought that up. It's the most uncomfortable goddamn thing. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of eased back into the couch corner a little bit when that one played. But but you guys are right. Every single character in this show is a dick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are awesome. there any heroes really? Any protagonists in it, or is everybody just a dick? I, I think mm. I I think they pin everything conscionable on Starlight because at least she sure, tries. She's the only one who isn't. 
just an open like asshole to everybody, but she wants yeah. to. At, at some point, she she decides to be and is talked out of it. But yeah. one other character. So I, I think yeah, she's so far as uh, not totally incorruptible, but at least puts up a good fight uh, against it. So I think she's going to be one of the saving graces. But yeah, I think it's the the one of the top through lines for the whole show is just absolute power definitely corrupts absolutely. Cause it's like, what, what do you have to fight against? Uh, if you can do anything, you know, it's like, Hey, fuck you. I'm a God. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. Also a corporate lack of responsibility with that much power. Yeah. There's a, definitely a lot going on, a lot, lot going on. And yeah, there was the scene where the character Homelander was literally delivering the George W. Bush speech after nine eleven, yeah. like word for word. Well, the the oh, comic yeah. that it's based on was written during that time, uh, and it was sort of a response to that. So I think you get a lot of that residual, but it's fit. It fits perfectly with the modern era because we really haven't changed that much. I don't think so. It's it's nice. No, we really haven't. Um, <laughs> now the boys, the boys has got a lot of hype behind it, but I think it's earned. I think they actually did a, a pretty good job. Amazon's on a roll this year with Good Omens in this one. Yeah, mm, and then they so. got a new one with uh, Orlando Bloom coming out soon that may or may not be interesting. Uh, oh well, he's dreamy. Yeah, and it's got him and uh, <laughs> what's her face from the City of a Thousand Shits, uh, Valerian. Oh. Okay. Oh, yeah. Cara Delvigne or whatever. She yeah. was in the Enchantress yeah. in the Suicide Squad. Oh, God. Yeah. So they're, they're pimping this thing. So I don't know. That's September. Maybe it'll be good. All right. So other stuff I did. Um, I went and saw. Now, this is a small production. It is touring. Um, I saw Spamilton, which is a parody Broadway of Broadway musicals. Um, primarily making fun of Hamilton, but really making fun of everything that I've been watching and all of these, like, season ticket things I've been doing. Okay. Um, so yeah, it seems to be made specifically for people who have season tickets or who just, you know, happen to live in New York and see all the Broadway shows. Is it like current stuff that they make fun of? Yeah. Yeah. Recent stuff. So they, they, they tear the new, that Willy Wonka, uh, play a new asshole <laughs> so you've seen everything that they make fun of yeah yeah <laughs> nice, so it nice. was a lot it was a lot more fun for me specifically because you know they're making fun of something rotten and the willy wonka thing and did you walk um, out all chest puffed out yep season ticket holder seen it all fuck you fuck you <laughs> no, <it was> just, <laughs> you're, that, you're that asshole in the in the theater like like who's actually read all the comic books going oh this is taken right from uh, <laughs> Man and Wasp yeah, 23 i mean Ooh, it, now it's it, broadway it, <laughs> it's it's pretty on the nose comedy, right? But but yeah, I think you don't get the jokes if you haven't seen these shows. So like most of the music is, you know, the music from Hamilton as performed by five people and a guy on a piano, and that's it. Um, with different lyrics and and the main through line is it is a musical about Lin Manuel Miranda trying to make Hamilton and then <laughs> becoming a douche and like going Disney. <laughs> Which, ha- um, which has happened anyway, right? Yeah. So, yeah. There's nice. there's only one woman in the show. She plays all the female roles, and she fucking killed it. Now, she was, like, not even the person whose name was printed in the program. There was, like, an extra sheet. It's like, now this role is this woman, and she was just amazing. Um, she also gets to do uh, impressions of Barbara Streisand and Liza Minnelli at various points in the show, and she just kills it. Nice. Um, and then, but the best part is, um, 
when they take the piss out of Sondheim. Careful the rap you play, no one will listen. Careful how dense the phrase, people will leave or heave. And they have Sondheim come out dressed as Bren Franklin, and he's complaining about how um, there's too many words in Hamilton, and they're like, uh, really, Sondheim? Another hundred syllables came out of my mouth and fell onto the ground As another hundred syllables are gonna go south and are sticking around As another hundred syllables repeat the refrain and are waiting for us in the second quatrain And I'm starting to cuss every word I say It's a lyric by Sondheim All-you-can-eat word buffet A lyric by Sondheim Did, did Sondheim do 1776? Uh, I don't know about that, but he did like Into the Woods and things like that. Yeah, I'm just wondering if he had like a, a, a peripheral connection to Hamilton. His own Revolutionary War yeah. uh, musical. As uh, damn, did they did they have a number that went, sir, sir, yes, sir, 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 oh, sir, yeah, sir, absolutely, sir, 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 sir. Pardon me, are you Aaron Burr, sir? I'm Leslie Odom as Burr, sir. Well, sure. Sir, I'm Lin-Manuel as Hamilton at your service, sir. Now that I've cast you, sir. I'm getting nervous, sir. Sorry, sir, that's worse. Sir. I'm getting nervous, er, er. Sir, I'd like to confer. Sir, I am searching throughout Broadway for the answer to my question. How can we make better musicals occur? Sir, it's all a blur. Sir. Yes, and they pretty <laughs> much took it too far. Like, you're, in play. yeah. It, okay. it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun for us. I don't know if general audiences would get half of half of what we get out of it you kind of have to have some frame of reference to to really think it's funny but there it was look for it on netflix soon yeah probably not <laughs> um yeah they did have they did have the the song i want to be in the film when it happens the film anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> um and then finally all right <sighs> all right i know you're gonna shit all over me we're doing this anyway Okay. Which do you think was worse? The Lion King or Dora and the Lost City of Gold? I'm going to say the Lion King was fucking worse. Correct, uh, sir. The Lion King is worse. And I tell you this why. <laughs> I tell you why. Because when I look at the trailers, uh, at least Dora looks like a fun romp, even though it looks incredibly inane. Whereas the Lion King just looks incredibly inane. Yes. Okay. That's pretty much exactly right. Also, they wouldn't have bothered to make a live action version of a film with a girl going, which one do you see? Do you see the lion? <laughs> yes, that's okay. the lion. You know, I, I, I think they would have made it a, an actual movie. Okay. So well. the Lion King has no reason to exist. It is just the Lion King with worse voice actors. Like whoever's doing Scar sucks compared to Jeremy Irons. Just just sucks. Uh, interesting. Who was? Oh, who? Now I gotta look that up. But continue. Uh, I think it was Idris Elba, but I'm. Uh, it just sucks. Uh, Idris Elba did the voice of uh, the Panther in the Jungle Book thing that Favreau did. Mm. I I don't know. All I know is that Jeremy Irons uh, was way better as Scar, and they have these animals and scenes so far. Like the photorealism is off the chain, right? Like I know that none of it exists. But, like, the interactions of blades of grass or rocks or sand with the paws of these animals is, is completely believable. But then they've made the faces so natural and actually like the animals 
that it comes across like Babe. Okay. Like they might as well have trained real animals and then just done shitty animation on the mouths. To, yeah. that's about how it comes across. Yeah, I just I don't get it when I see the trailer. I'm like, uh, like Aladdin, I almost get just because you know it's whatever, uh, easy to do. Beauty and the Beast, sure, but when it's the whole movie's just anthropomorphic bullshit, it's like, ah, uh, come on. Someone on the <laughs> internet did a deep fake where they took the animated face of Simba and then they stuck it on the CG Simba and and made it. Closer to the cartoon, and it might be an improvement. Uh, that sounds like the uh, person that took all of uh, Ron Swanson faces and superimposed them over all of the Full House faces. Have you seen that thing? That <laughs> 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 sounds about the same. But I got to talk about Dora and the Lost, the the Lost City of Gold here. Now, this is not a movie for either of you at all. Like <gasps> I assume neither of you have ever had to endure any Dora the Explorer at all. No, I have not, thankfully. Yeah, because I had kids, so I, I had to see this thing. So would you and, prefer this or like a Blue's Clues movie? Or maybe um, Like what would be, probably the three, this. What would be worse? Okay. I, I, think the, I think the Dora... So here's the thing. This movie appears to be made for a very specific demographic. I believe this movie is made for people who are between the ages of like 23 and 30 who have some memory of Dora the Explorer, <laughs> who have their own kids, and they want a family-friendly movie they can plop their kids in front of while they themselves get stoned out of their fucking minds. Because Dora and the Lost City of Gold is batshit insane. Because, um, <laughs> well, first of all, like, isn't in the cartoon, she's actually like a little girl, right? But in the movie, they made right. her a teenager, right? Well, so they start out with her as a little girl. Okay. And at first, the conceit is that all the stuff in the show, she has like this... You know, this talking backpack and a map that, that sings to her and stuff. And and they set it up, and it, it's like, at the very beginning, there it is. There's the goddamn map and backpack. And then it's just her and her friend Diego playing, you know, Imagine, right? And, and so it's all just in her head. Okay, that's fine. But then, little girl Dora talks directly to the camera, like, Can you say delicioso? And then they cut away. And she's sitting at the dinner table, staring into space, talking. Everybody around her is like, oh, shit, Dora is nuts. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a concept. They, they almost went for it all the way, where it was like, all of that shit is in crazy-ass Dora's head. That would have been unless, awesome. I'd go see that. <laughs> and, and then, or, or when she's tripping balls, which, which is a thing that happens later in the movie. Okay. Um, <sighs> This movie is somehow completely sincere about being a a family-friendly Indiana Jones light Dora the Explorer movie and also completely sincere about how stupid an idea that is and they know it and they <laughs> they play with it. Well, okay, but, let me ask you this. Uh have you seen the Josie and the Pussycats movie? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if you had, then you could compare the two for me, but never mind. But it yeah, sounds I got, about I the same. I got nothing for you there. This oh, is, okay. yeah. There were moments where I was just looking at the screen going, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and yet you went. It must be really hot out there in Phoenix. That's all I'm going to say. There is nothing else going on in the theaters. It's all garbage. And, you know, That's, I have this- sat through worse movies for uh, basically i say it's about popcorn really i'm just i'm just running away from my crushing depression and you know looking for distractions <laughs> and that so. is your 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 solution is door the explorer 
Excellent. It, it, this <laughs> week, yeah. So if you are if you are 28 years old and you have a young child and you want to kill an hour and a half and also get away with being baked while your kid doesn't notice, you could do worse than Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Thank you. Yeah. That's, That's entertainment. <laughs> yeah. And also, as a side note, if you do the same thing but add a Chuck E. Cheese, they will escort you from the premises. So just go for Dora. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, enough about that. Let's talk about sequels. Yeah, let's. Uh, All right. So I'm just going to clarify. Was this strictly uh, number twos that we were dealing with? Yes. That was, that this, was my, this my is, assumption. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to talk about Dora singing the song about digging a poo hole when you're in the jungle and you need to take a shit. <laughs> um, you can insert it now. That's fine. It's Dig the poo hole, dig, dig, dig. Just grab a shovel, it's a piece of cake. Make sure the hole is deep and there isn't a snake. I'm telling you this so you will be wiser. And don't forget, it's a natural fertilizer. Yeah, that that's a thing. So, yeah, the idea here is it's not very often that any of the sequels are better than the original. Usually the original surprises people, comes out of nowhere, builds a huge following, and then they decide to turn it into a cash cow, yeah. and nothing's ever as good as your first hit. Yeah, they basically bludgeon whatever was notable about the original until it's indistinguishable from anything else. That's But typical. every now and then you get the sequel that actually takes and elevates the whole thing. And um, I wanted to challenge everybody to come up with a movie that fit that description. But part of the rules were you weren't allowed to pick The Godfather Part 2 or The Empire Strikes Back because those were just too obvious. Now, I did uh, mention that to a coworker that we were doing this show. And mm-hmm. they, they agreed on The Godfather Part 2, but they're kind of hedged on Empire. And they said, I I agree with your coworker. So I agree with uh, your coworker. So this gets into that gray area because uh, Empire is a solid movie, but I'm not sure if it's better than Star Wars either. So I'll just leave it at that. All right. So I wanted to take a minute and just cap on either of those movies if we wanted to, or at least talk about them. And and yeah, let's go there. Empire. Why? Why I think Star Wars. Just Star Wars. It's not Episode Four. It's not a new. It's fucking Star Wars. Yeah. Why it is better than The Empire Strikes Back. First of all. The timeline in Star Wars almost makes sense. Whereas in Empire Strikes Back, we split the cast, and yeah. half the cast uh, goes on an adventure that takes about a weekend, and the other half of the cast, <laughs> and then Luke Skywalker exactly. goes and does something for like three years, and then they reconverge at the end. Yeah, it doesn't. It make doesn't. Any- may- it doesn't work. Maybe there's <laughs> there's there's one thing that would explain that, but it, it it's painful. Yeah. Okay, oh so no, no, Luke- let's do it. Luke is on Dagobah getting training, um, and, and the, the, the rest of the kids are in the Millennium Falcon in the middle of space, not 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 a, a, a star system, but like in the middle of void, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, what's his name is nearby? Nearby in space is really relative, especially when you can no longer travel at the speed of goddamn light. So yeah. chances are good they were in that Millennium Falcon for, you know, several years before they got to Cloud City. Uh, they just don't <laughs> say so, because they're putting along at nothing. Yeah. So for that for that to hold up, Darth Vader has to be absolutely preoccupied with following them to set a trap to catch Luke, 
and doing nothing else for years. Well, right. actually, only Boba Fett needs to be preoccupied because he's the one who's, you know, tailing mm-hmm. them from the asteroids, which could still be where Hoth is to wherever the fuck Cloud City is. Yeah. It's just really convenient is all that timeline. So it, yeah. it doesn't hold up under scrutiny, and that's why Star Wars is better. At least Star Wars has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yes. And is a self-contained a story. story, whereas Empire is obviously a bridge in a larger story. Uh, so that I kind of get annoyed with at times because then that means yeah. you have to watch the third one or whatever so that you can complete the actual story arc. And that's like, it's, it's a cheat. So I, yeah. I guess I always liked empire because, and, and maybe it is because I was a kid, but it was like, Oh, that thing I really loved. Yeah. Well, shit's about to get dark. Yeah. And that was the first time I really experienced that. And well, I will say that Empire does set sort of a a sequel template of sorts for a reasonable amount of success. Is you you have to shift the tone of the first one just enough to make it somewhat more of its own thing. And so I can see elements of that in other sequels. So yeah. I'll give it props for that. Well, and that and that's the thing. I guess if you've got a franchise that is as popular as it needs to be to guarantee there will be at least two sequels, right? Then the bad guys can win in part two, and that's always good yeah. drama, right? It's a, tough, it's a tough pill to swallow, for sure. Like, uh, you know, they got away with that in Infinity War for the same reasons, right? Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah. But as far as I Godfather mean, 2, it's, uh, I would agree that that's better than the first, but I think that's the reverse. It's because they split out the narrative, and then you've got the two storylines running simultaneously, and they sort of mirror each other. I think that mm-hmm. that framing device to me is always sort of astonishing that it works because it shouldn't on paper, uh, but in that movie it works. So I give it. So yeah. I'm I'm gonna struggle with Godfather because I don't think I've seen either movie in like uh, 30 years. So I, uh, I I just have this hazy memory of you know gold tinted movies with I, trumpets I, in the soundtrack. I know I, it was you, you know. Fredo. I knew it was you. You broke my heart. I don't think well, I could, had to, if as, you showed me as, a scene, I wouldn't be able to tell you which movie of, it was from. As the son of a father who was, you know, an unduly proud Italian American, I had to watch <laughs> that as a kid every year when nice. it came on TV, nice. and that just scarred me because every year's I, a year I had to watch Sonny get ripped apart at the cross at the causeway, <laughs> and just be like, I don't like the move. And so I have like all these memories from childhood that involve people getting shot in the head and just being like. <laughs> Well, I will I will no. say that Godfather has one of the best gangster lines ever, 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 and it's when they wipe out the the guy, uh, and then <laughs> the gangster just says, uh, "Take the cannoli, leave the gun," <laughs> and they just sort of saunter off after they've murdered this fucker. It's always fun to watch that. Yeah, Don't, what do they mention that in? That's that's some you've uh, got mail or sleepless in Seattle. One of those. They yeah yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I will I will say that those are two solid ones. I will do an honorable mention though. I wanted to say that Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo deserves mention as uh, this because of the fact that it introduced the phrase Electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo, the ultimate show with Kelly Ozone and Turbo. Electric Boogaloo is breakdance too. Yeah, I'm, I was gonna say I'm calling shenanigans in that I don't actually believe you've watched either of those movies from beginning ah. to end. Good. With, with yes. Turbo Get and Ozone and Special K, are you kidding me? 
The second I, one I is, saw the documentary on the '80s as well. <laughs> that doesn't mean I watched that horseshit. Uh, they're actually <laughs> on, like uh, you can watch the full first breaking on YouTube, and breaking two is on Amazon streaming. So yeah, you yeah. bet your sweet bippy, I've seen them. Fuck you yeah, for so, saying so that. So that means you can screen cap that watch history and prove Goddamn it, right? Goddamn masochist. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> well, I had... A, I, I'll go watch Dora and the Lost City of yeah. Gold again before... I well, I think it. at one point I had a vague notion of pitching a show where we would do Who Wore It Better, Breakin' or Crush Groove, but I really didn't have it in my heart to do that to you fellas. So, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. As the podcast gets thinner and thinner of ideas, yeah. this sort of I'm thing gonna, is going right. to happen. I'll, I'll we did Bugsy Malone for God's sakes. Yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I'll, I just love the phrase "Electric Boogaloo" because that's just now what you add to every fucking sequel with a two in the title, regardless. Uh, so I thank them for that. Uh, but yeah, right, outside yeah. of those, it was difficult to Parabellum. Parabellum Part Three. Yeah. I think we got a roll. Um, I think we got a roll. Uh, so yeah, there were quite a few that I thought maybe, but no, and maybe, but no. Uh, yeah, I really had a hard time. So yeah. So where did you land, mine? Chris? Oh, go ahead. Oh, and I was just gonna say mine was was easy as pie. I, yeah, you, I, you I, blurted yours right when Brian said, "Hey, let's do this." Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I can't think of a better example. Let's start with Eric. All right, then, Eric. Uh, what's your what's your better Star sequel? Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan? Electric. Yeah. At, at which point I was like, Oh yeah, duh. Yeah. <laughs> Buried alive. Buried alive. Come! Come! I think what made it such an easy choice, though, wasn't just that uh, Star Trek Two is so good, which it is. It is so good. It's it's uh, honestly it it's is, it's good on its own. That's the thing. Yeah, and it is also the reason anything Star Trek happened afterwards, because yes. the yes. thing was just sunk as, as could be. Yeah. Uh, they, they were going to start a Paramount TV network in the 70s, and their, their, their I guess, flagship show yeah, was flagship. going to be a, a revamp of Star Trek. And so that fell through, and they said, okay, we'll make a movie instead. And they had all of they had their pilot script for TV, which is you know a pilot script for TV in the seventies. It's not very good. <laughs> and they got all this money together for effects, um, and so the effects are you know pretty good if you care about what you're looking at. It's just a long slog that managed to make money just on because of its name, and so they were just going to say, okay, well we're done. Star Trek II was written as a TV movie. They were going to give it one more shot. They were going to say, okay, you can, you can have one more attempt. And there were all of these ideas that were floating around. I want to do one about Kirk's son. I want to do one about a, you know, them making planets. I want to do one about this. So let's, let's, let's tie in something from the original show. All this horseshit flying around. Uh, then I can't believe I Nicholas can't remember Nicholas Meyer. Thank Nick, thank you. Nicholas Meyer gets hired, and they throw all these notes at him, and he says, "Okay, I'll make something. Give me a call in a week." And I yeah. think in two weeks he writes the first draft of yeah. Wrath of Khan with yeah. all of their ideas in it, and says this, and that's pretty much what they shot, yeah. which is which incredible. is amazing, yeah. yeah. Because uh, because if you look at Star Trek the motion picture, it it made a shit ton of money, 
but it was such a dud. I mean, that thing oh, is yeah. just a snooze fest and a half. Oh, oh yeah, Christ. They that that yeah, and there's 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 like I think twenty or thirty minutes of film where they say hardly anything. They just look at funny lights. Oh yeah, you know, like oh, we're going into the thing. <laughs> yeah. ooh, 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 ooh. They're basically doing what they were hoping we were doing, and we were not because There's- it was. Like they and did and that I think people in the, were still just, TV just series just all the, over themselves saying, yeah, oh, look, it's the Enterprise again. Only it's more than those three shots we had to watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did the same thing in the TV series. It's just that they didn't have any special effects, so that it, it moved. Like, yeah. you know, with this, they had the money for the special effects. And yeah, there's that one scene that goes on for like in, in Star Trek, the motion picture, for the entire length of the, the is it Jerry Goldsmith? That, do I have it right? Who wrote yeah. the theme? Uh, no, no. Yeah. Jerry Goldsmith da, 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 did the... Da, da. That thing. Yeah, he did the first one. Uh, yeah, um, and James Horner yeah. did the Wrath of Khan. Right, right. But yeah, that Jerry Goldsmith theme plays from beginning to end in slow tracking <laughs> shots of yeah. the Enterprise docked in a dock going nowhere, and we watch all of it. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's, it's and then they do awful. the 2001 thing later, but man, yeah, James Horner kills it in the Star Trek two uh, and, score as yeah, well. Yeah, the idea there being again with the d- the design choice was if Star Trek was supposed to be Horatio Hornblower in space, let's make a naval uh, war epic. And so the uniforms look navy, you know, yeah. in, in space navy, but they're they're more naval than the jumpsuits and pajamas they were wearing in the first movie. Yeah, and the music is that. Yeah, that that naval battle kind of, and they they start it right from the get go too. When the credits start, you get the the score, and it's just you're hooked mm-hmm. immediately. It's, at least as far as I am, it's like as soon as you see Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan and the music blasting, you're like, okay, already I can tell this is an improvement. So yeah, good. And you I kind of let it flow. And they reuse a lot of the effects. That's what's really funny. Most of the effect shots in the first third are just rehashed from the first movie that was so expensive. Right. They they saved money everywhere they could, and you don't care. Actually, Ricardo Montalban and uh, William Shatner are never on the screen together at the same time. They never even shot their shit together. Because well, it's right, the same so set. That you can have one crew come in, do all of that stuff, and then go, you know, send the ca- that cast away, have the next, you know, team come in well, just that, shoot that shit because he because Montalban was still doing Fantasy Island then so he would yeah. actually have to come in after he was done on Fantasy Island and then they would shoot like at night or whatever uh, they, but they wouldn't have to yeah they, they there was no huge uh, uh, collection of stars that needed to be assembled yeah at the time and, oh yeah also all the Star Trek cast were still pretty much nobody's it's, um, yeah, it's a good time uh, yeah but the but, but even but even structurally the the thing works. The only thing that bothers me is that if you know what it's based on, if you've ever seen Space Seed from the original series, uh, and then when Chekhov is on there, and you know that he was not actually on that episode, yeah, and, but they're very familiar. Yeah. But but the people Maybe. can sort of retcon it and say, well, he could have already been assigned to the Enterprise. He just wasn't in that particular episode, yeah. so he knows. Yeah, there's stuff. like 300 people on that yeah, ship. Yeah. We don't have to follow everybody in a so, 1960s show. Yeah, so they do a nice well, job like the of the one retconning. criticism, right? Yeah. Like Star Trek Two holds the hell up. It also was uh, a huge milestone in computer graphics. The the Genesis effect. Uh, sequence uh, was a big, big deal in CG tech world. 
Yeah. Um, a lot of the guys involved in that went on to basically become Pixar and, and other uh, major innovators in, in computer graphics. They, they have the balls to, to kill a main character. Um, they have the balls to do gruesome stuff right at the outset with that critter that gets in their ears. Yeah. Um, I yeah, like the fact that it's just solid. Well, I like the fact that when they, they, they still kill Spock, but Nimoy wanted that to happen earlier in the movie, but apparently right. a script leaked and fans went ape shit. And so they moved it to the end. That's I, actually, yeah, that's what's funny. That's actually Gene Roddenberry, who did not like the idea that they were going to kill his character off. So at like one of those Star <laughs> Trek conventions, they said, oh, yeah, they're making a new uh, uh, Star Trek movie and they're going to kill Spock. And yeah. everyone went, what the fuck? What a and, dick move. But yeah, so the- they, they just sort of fake kill him in the beginning to fake everybody out and make him think, oh, that's all they meant. Oh, that's oh, okay. true. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's funny. Aren't you dead? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But this is also where they set up a lot of the, the lore for the progressive movie series. So you get the Kobayashi Maru. Uh, you've got the Khan uh, ah, aftermath. That's an interesting point. There's a lot of uh, uh, tr- things that are made up in this movie, like Kobayashi Maru, that get that used throughout the Star Trek universe later on. Yeah. Because it was done so well this one time, and they never bothered to do something else well. I find that <laughs> fucking yeah. just an assault. It's I'm, like, make yeah. up your own shit. Keep going. Yeah. No, we agree. we're just going to keep rehashing the, that. The best Star Trek anything. Like, yeah, I yeah, don't I think, think Star Trek gets better than this. No, I, I think uh, from all of them, it's good. And I was not prepared also, bec- and I think this is because it's Nicholas Meyer, uh, but all of the, the literary references that... You kind of mm-hmm. have to know in order to appreciate how they fit in. Uh, like, Idea. Well, I, I think, mean, well, but I think, but I, it, it lends to the whole gravity of the quotes he's using. Because at the end, when Khan is quoting Moby Dick and that sort of stuff, uh, but there's a lot of the quotes. That's the thing, though. The the quotes are used as if they're they're quoting something. Yeah, you know, I don't think you need to be familiar because at one point he he does that thing. Do you do you, do you know the Klingon proverb that revenge yeah. is a dish that's best? That's a Sicilian proverb. I I think yeah. they're they're yeah, intentionally yeah. But they, here's they're, the th- they're intentionally they're telling you you don't need to know this stuff. But this is the deal though. <laughs> but you, but you translate that over to say Star Trek Six, which was also Nicholas Meyer, and you've got Christopher Plummer as the Klingon commander, and he's spouting all of that dogs of war Shakespeare stuff. It just yeah. rings. It rings really hollow in that one. Whereas in Star Trek Two, when Khan's doing it, it it fits. I, you know what I mean? I think he was making a joke at that point because. But that's what I mean. At one point, McCoy says, "Oh, I pay real money for him to shut up because he keeps <laughs> yeah. quoting Shakespeare." Yeah. There's so, okay. the, the and fair. the the best quote in the early in six when Spock says, "There's a, a Vulcan saying only Nixon could go to China." Oh, come on, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Okay. So, so yeah. anyway, Star Trek II, uh, Stone Cold Classic, Trek at its best. It holds up. It holds up, yeah. but if you buy it on Amazon, do not get the director's cut. Every, they, it adds things that did not need to be added. Some movies are short enough. You know, it, it's like there's this all that shit with, with Scotty's nephew who works in the engine room. Bad, the bad, kid. bad. Yeah, the kid from Witch Mountain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But but yeah, an absolute classic. Really a great movie. Uh, especially if you haven't seen it. Shit, I'd like to see it again for the first yeah. time. 
I, I watch just watched it, it again it's this good. week and it, it held up. Yeah. Good choice. All yeah. right, Chris. So you said you struggled with yours. I did. I did. I struggled hard. Uh, my first instinct was to go with Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Another uh, oh, yeah. uh, kind of obvious and solid choice, I'd say. Yeah, uh, but given that not obvious, I, 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 because I think Mad Max has like a whole lot of love thrown at it, but it's boring too. No, well, I don't like Mad Max at all. That's why I thought it was an easy choice. Like, well, Road Warrior is so much better I, than the first movie. Uh, well, it's an improvement. I enjoy both of them. I like Road Warrior a little better. Uh, Mad Max is more of like a Wild Ones biker roadhouse movie. Uh, whereas they set the stage and the world is just basically obviously in decay. But then by the time you get to Road Warrior, it has just fallen off the edge and is full on past decay. Uh, but George Miller was wise enough to take all of the motifs that he started in Mad Max and sort of pepper them in. So if you watch them together, it's a mind blowing deal. Cause it's like, how the fuck did you put all that shit together? Not even knowing that you were going to do this other movie. Uh, but mm. I think he expanded it out in ways that really pushed the envelope for it. And in the process created that whole genre in the eighties with that desert apocalypse wasteland thing. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's a solid choice for me, but I thought if, if Eric's already doing wrath of Khan, uh, let's not belabor all of the sci-fi stuff. Cause that's the easy end of it. Cause you've got uh bride of Frankenstein, evil dead Two. Uh, Dawn of the Dead, stuff like that. Uh, and then we would just have a genre show. So I thought, what are some comedies that might be fitting this bill? And then two that came to top of mind, one was A Shot in the Dark, which is the sequel to Pink Panther. And mm-hmm. that's the first one where Clouseau is not a bit player, and they actually give him his whole own movie. And it sort of cements all of the Clouseau-isms. Um, but it's still a, an early 60s Blake Edwards comedy, so uh, it's sort of particular taste so i decided that <laughs> i was going to make the case for austin powers the spy who shagged me a spoof on late 60s things yeah but yeah which which is basically uh bond first and foremost but also the in like flint stuff with coburn uh even the italian stuff like danger diabolic uh and stuff like that oh and like and the Matt helm Connor. which was yeah. referenced oh, yeah. in uh the tarantino once upon a time in hollywood but, oh really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, uh, well, because that was uh, Sharon Tate's last movie was a Matt Helm film. Okay. Um, yeah, I can't remember which one, but yeah, I've got the Matt Helm lounge set on DVD. Uh, of course, you I do. Watched it in a while. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> all right. So, I, I want to ask you though: Is the Spy Who Shagged Me actually better than Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, and why? Swinging sixties, here I come, baby! Yeah. Uh, I think it is, and I think it's solely because the first one, while good uh, and still enjoyable, it definitely is its own thing, and it's tied to the late 90s when it was made. Uh, It's definitely done like a pastiche, and they just obviously cram all of their ideas into it, and so you get sort of just this bit, this bit, this bit, which is fine, and it works. Uh, but I think where Spy Who Shagged Me transcends that is that they just said, well, we've got a bigger budget. Let's just, who gives a shit? Let's just make it as crazy and stupid as possible. And so you give it the same sort of paper-thin plot line, but they just managed to fill it out so much more because they had the sense not to make it all about Austin Powers. 
and that to me is where it goes stronger. So you still yeah, have they made awesome- an allegory of erectile dysfunction. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I remember watching this going, are they serious? Give me just gags, for Christ's sake. Yeah. But I think they, they expanded it out. And it's sort of like how it, it basically, in a nutshell, encapsulates, encapsulates everything that is so odd about the evolution of the James Bond franchise. Because it started out, it was relatively rooted in some form of reality. Doctor knows a little bit crazy for a, a starter because it's the underground layer and this and that. But from Russia with Love is just a straight up spy thriller. Uh, and then Goldfinger gets a little more outlandish. But by the time you get to stuff like uh, You Only Live Twice and the volcano layer and all that, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a full on cartoon. And I think that's where Spy of Shagmi excels because it said, well, screw it. Let's just embrace all of the silliness of these types of movies and just go for broke. And so. They had a lot of fun with it. And then you introduce all the characters on the periphery. So in the first one was Dr. Evil. So they had sense enough to start this one with the theme to Dr. Evil by They Might Be Giants, where it's evil is his only name. Uh, right. So you kind of know that it's uh, the focus is not going to be on, oh, behave. Do I make yeah, you holy? This is actually a movie about Dr. Evil, right? Yeah. Like- and, uh, and I think that's also where it excels because to me it's you're – Hero is only as interesting as the villain that he goes up against. And if your villain is not interesting, then you don't have anything at all. And so by giving more to Dr. Evil in this one, and they expand his backstory out to just ridiculous nth degree levels, mind you, uh, I think they really made a wise choice there. Because then it takes the focus off of the repetitive catchphrases that Austin Powers is known for, which is really his only shtick. Uh and they kind of move oh, beyond behave. that. <laughs> so it's just a funner movie to me, uh, just because it is so ridiculous. And then by the time they wind up in space, you've got all of the bases covered for all the bonds. Cause then you've got the volcano layer with you only live twice. You've got the space mission thing for Moonraker. So it's all of the Roger Moore, uh, late Connery, mm-hmm. uh, that they just blow up and it just, it's so dumb. Uh, and, Yet it makes me laugh because it's so just over the top ridiculous. Uh, so, so that's that's. I my mean, case. this is the movie where they introduced Mini Me, yeah, which is good. It's fat also bastard. the movie where they yeah introduce Fat Bastard, so which like, is a problematic yeah. character uh, to be sure. <laughs> but uh, for my money, when I saw that in the theater, when he said, "Let me eat your baby," uh, that's where I actually laughed the hardest. I think. I don't know why. I just wasn't prepared for that. So, you know. I, I'm sorry. I, I still, the, the biggest laugh I've gotten out of the entire Austin Powers universe is still when Tom Cruise turned around playing Austin Powers. I thought that was <laughs> well, hilarious. Yeah. Goldmember has some very solid moments, but it's definitely the weakest of the three. But Goldmember also has my favorite line from the entire fucking series, which is Michael Caine as Austin Powers' yeah, father. That's what you're going to do. And he says, there's only two things in this world I hate. <laughs> people who insult other people's cultures and the Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just leaves it. That's the funniest line ever. So, you know. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't even bother with Goldmember. I've never seen it. And part of the reason is I didn't, I felt like, I mean, there was good stuff in Spy Who Shagged Me. I liked the first one better. Maybe it's just because I liked Elizabeth Hurley better than, um, uh, 
What's Heather Graham. Heather Graham. Yeah, well, Heather Graham's fucking useless. That's the other yeah. reason to yeah, not really. They, they hired her because she's pretty to look at. Uh, sure. She's the flavor of the minute. Yeah. Yeah, because well, uh, she had just done Boogie Nights. And, yeah. Well, know. the only difference, I think, between her and Elizabeth Hurley, they didn't give Elizabeth Hurley pretty much jack all to do in the first one. She's just a blank slate as sort of the, the straight man uh, to Austin Powers crazy. Whereas in the right. Spy Who Shagged Me, they actually amped it up and they made her a female version of Austin Powers. And then the whole crux of this movie is that Dr. Evil stole his mojo. So he's got this whole self-confidence crisis thing happening. Uh, so to me, that was an interesting dynamic that they thought they'd play with. I mean, it gets clunky at times, but it's not nearly as clunky as watching the really uncomfortable uh, sexual harassment that Austin Powers does to yeah. Vanessa in the first one. Uh, it just doesn't hold up. But at least it's funny. I I, 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 I thought it was hilarious, but, you know, I'm, well, I'm a to, dick. I think, to me, the I secret think, weapon... Of, go ahead. No, you go, go ahead. Uh, the secret weapon of, of these movies really is Scott Evil. I, yeah. I think that the whole concept of Scott Evil is what makes this thing work. Well, the We've fact got, that, that Seth Green has said on record that he played Scott Evil like he was in a lifetime drama... Whereas uh-huh. everybody else was playing a comedy, and he said that was sort of where he got the the flavor for Scott. So when you watch them, you're like, "Holy shit!" He really is the only one playing this straight. It's amazing, God, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when you get to Spy Who Shagged Me, and they open it with the Jerry Springer thing, uh, and then it just devolves into a melee on stage. But you got Mike Myers's Doctor Evil just going, "Come here, you motherfucker! I'll pop, pop, pop!" But he like rolls over, and his arms are sort of flapping about. It's like, how is this man the worst villain on the planet? This is so ridiculous. Uh, so it just kind of plays out. It's fun. All right, Call me new, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so so it's good. It's good. Uh, they just amped everything up. Uh, that's my case. But like everything, uh, opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. They all stink. Yep. I've, I'm an asshole, and I have an opinion about my movie. Um, Go for it. Which you didn't tell us what it was, I, so this is Yeah, I realized like right before here, I didn't bother to mention it. Yeah. I also hemmed and hawed, but where I landed, and I'm kind of glad I did, because it got me to revisit X2, X-Men United. Oh, okay. Um, huh. So Interesting. Here's, here's the thing about X2. Um, first of all, the original X-Men, I don't think anybody really has fond memories of the original X-Men. Uh, not entirely. Not I remember, very good. I remember being blown away at how good it was. The very first X-Men? Yeah. I yeah. didn't think well, that was going to happen. Well, I went it, there expecting shit, and I walked away going, ooh, they made a real movie. Yeah. Well, at the they time, it, it was uh, fairly unique, because it was a superhero movie that actually did not suck and did not fuck up the source material. X2 sort of, gets a lot of mileage out of Magneto. I mean, uh, X1, yeah. X-Men 1. There's a lot of mileage out of Magneto. It starts with that scene in Auschwitz where uh, Magneto first accidentally has his puberty moment and bends the gates. And I think that really got everybody's attention. Like, oh, shit, they're not fucking around. Um, And they did design the cool Magneto prison made out of plastic that showed up at the end of X-Men. But the 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 thing about the first X-Men... Yeah, we'll get there. But the thing about the first X-Men was... Um, the climax just sucked. Like the actual mutants that they picked and the setting they picked, it just, and in a, in a sense, the whole thing was, uh, was basically the, 
syndromes, you know, ultimately had the same plan in Incredibles, yeah. uh, which is, you know, if they're going to legislate against the mutants, we're going to make them all mutants or, you know, eh. And and then well, just the fight with Storm and the Toad is laughable, let, you know. Let me type you there, because that is my ultimate favorite line in the whole fucking thing, though, because it makes no goddamn sense. It's when Storm is knocked down the elevator shaft and then suddenly flies out with her magic yeah. stormy powers. Because Storm doesn't fly. That's another thing. If you <laughs> do know the book, Storm doesn't fly. That's yeah. bullshit. Uh, and then she has some line. It's like... Uh, do you, you know, know what happens, what happens to- when a toad is struck by lightning? <laughs> the same and thing the- as everything else. <laughs> yeah, that's the like, line. That's the, the kicker. Is- it's like, what does that even mean? Come on. Yeah. yeah. I think I laughed out loud in the theater at that. So, I mean, X2 comes along, and yeah, X-Men, there was kind of the one-two punch of the first X-Men and the first Spider-Man. And yeah. then X2 comes along, and they're like, okay, we're going to give it a little more budget. And boy, did it pay off. X2, upon a rewatch, like everything that people praise the first Avengers movie for was already pulled off and arguably just as well, if not better, in X2. Yeah, because um, team-ups are very difficult to pull off anyway, uh, but especially when your team-up is from a comic book where they have all these magic powers, so there's not a lot of practical stuff going on. It's just a lot of actors miming you know, shit that they put the effects in for later, and they they make it believable, which is but, astonishing but to me. The the best example of that actually is what you already talked about is Magneto's prison break scene. So there's a scene where Magneto breaks out of his little plastic cell because there's a guard who comes in to give him food or or something, and he's like, "Something's different about you. You've got too much iron in your blood," which I guess had been you know put there by one of his minions. Mystique and, uh, gave yeah. him, like, a bunch of mercury in his beer or something. Right. And so Magneto kills this guy by just pulling the blood straight out of his body, uh, which is a poorly done effect, but the rest of the effects don't have to be good because they just have to be kind of metallic blobs. Was, was that what he did? He, he pulled yeah. the iron out of the guy's blood, made yeah. a bullet out of it, and just shot the shit out of everything in Yes. Place, right? Yeah. But basically. but all Ian McKellen has to do is just stand perfectly still and confident while he, you know, while this plate of iron, you know, they retract the bridge, but he just creates a floating plate of iron that he stands on. And then he's got these two little iron balls that orbit him like electrons and then just yeah. break the shit out of everything. And all he has to do is just stand there like, y'all can't even touch me. I'm just, yeah. and, well, you know, the, I'm guards, just Magneto. the guards all run away and one of them uh, all, like kind of falls off the land bridge and says to his friends, run, you fools. And so he is both <laughs> dragon and, and wizard. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that makes Ian McKellen the perfect choice for your villain uh, is the fact that he had already done Richard the uh, third previously. And it's a really good Richard the third. If you've seen the movie, which kind of updates it to the twenties and sort of neo-fascist, whatever. But he's already got that Shakespearean gravitas down because he's a trained Shakespearean actor. And I think it shows in the Magneto character. He just he doesn't look ridiculous. You don't think he's not going to fuck you up. Uh, and I think it's just perfect as a foil for the rest of them. Yeah. Also, he's uh, the he's the bad guy leader and the good guy leader is Patrick Stewart. So it's like you need somebody on par with that. I'm pretty sure Patrick yeah. Stewart's like, well, get Ian McKellen. He's he's fucking awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, they actually <laughs> knew Ian it, McKellen it much because more of apt pupil. 
You know, yeah. uh, Brian Singer oh, before yeah. the first X Men had done Apt Pupil with Ian McKellen. So he brought, if anything, McKellen brought Patrick Stewart in. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. He probably um, said, "Yeah, get Patrick Stewart. He's fucking awesome." I think you mean yeah. Patrick Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, everything is Sean awesome. They Connery, got but they got Alan Cumming as the Nightcrawler, and they they open the movie with this amazing. I mean, the Nightcrawler invades the White House sequence at the beginning of X two. If anything is better than and more badass than the Quicksilver scene that everybody was all into in Days of Future Past, you know, years yeah. later, it's the same basic concept. This guy's powers just allow him to own everyone in the room. And it's in, it's in bullet time because you know two thousand three, um. But but man, is it? And again, the CG isn't great, but it doesn't. Ha- that's that means that they had to focus more on actual practical stuff in order to pull it off. There's some phenomenal shots where he's just popping in and out of, you know, different parts of the frame, fucking up, fucking up soldiers. Yeah. Um. The there's a scene where Wolverine goes goes berserker and they actually had to edit it down because that scene had earned the movie an R rating from the MPAA at the beginning. This <laughs> Which, movie it's hard. Yeah, well as we all know, Logan is an R rated movie and that's pretty much the uh, yeah, that, that is wanted. the best X Men movie. Yeah. yeah. It it probably is. Logan is probably the best X Men movie, but X two holds up. I was I went in expecting to be really like, oh, this is just yeah, things have moved well, on and gotten better. Well, but if anything, it it pointed out how, in the same way that like they've taken what was the movie that the SpongeBob took the edge off of Ren and Stimpy, like yeah. Marvel movies have kind of taken the edge off of where X Two was. Well, there's Believe a lot of heady stuff going on in there. I mean, they've got that whole like coming out of the closet gay subtext. But they've transferred is it, it subtext to the mutants? or is it just text? <laughs> well, that's I mean, what I'm saying. Is, there's yeah, a they, scene where Iceman comes out to his parents, and it's very as a as yeah. a quote unquote mutant. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the when they get to that, it, it is it's a fairly heavy handed parable about uh, being gay in the modern world, I guess. Uh, but that also somehow adds a certain flavor to it that I kind of enjoy. Yeah. Because it really sort of hits home why the mutants are the way they are i mean it's you know it's like well fuck nobody wants us and there's no reason that they should not want us but it's because we're different i mean well, i mean you know. it's a civil rights allegory no matter how you cut it right like yeah professor x was always martin luther king and and magneto was always malcolm x and, and that's just kind of how the characters are yeah um but also yeah there's definitely a gay rights thing here and i, I imagine you could apply that to trans rights nowadays and it would work just as well yeah and um, so it's so it's yeah it's an interesting thing and then they introduce uh striker because it's the yeah. whole dark phoenix saga thing and then so you kind of get some uh backstory on how wolverine became wolverine so there's a shit ton of stuff going on in this movie and yeah uh, yeah when i first watched it i did not think it would be possible to pull it all off but they somehow make it fit it's kind of like star trek too it's just there's a lot going on but it doesn't feel forced there's so many characters, but they all actually have arcs and and they work. And I'm yeah, it's an impressively structured film, I gotta say. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, fine, it's a genre film, but X two holds up. Would you say that uh X Men three was hurt by the fact that X two was so good? Or is yeah. it because they hired Brett Ratner? Both. <laughs> okay. Brett Ratner didn't write that though. I mean That's true, that's true. Uh, yeah, no, the guy who yeah. directed Dark Phoenix wrote 
X-Men 3, which was also Dark Phoenix, and he got it wrong both yeah. times, so, it's you know, a, fuck that a, guy. A Dark Phoenix do-over. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know, I think choice. X-Men makes more sense as an HBO series at this point. Yeah, I think you, you know, could probably draw it out. I think, like actually, a- that's an interesting show right there. Like, the, the movies that shouldn't have been movies, but should have been <laughs> shows. You know, it's just that that didn't yeah. exist at the time. Because I agree, I don't care about uh, the X-Men movies at all, because there's so many characters and so much shit going on, I have no fucking clue anymore. <laughs> Especially now that they're, they exist twice, you know? Well, you know now what? That, uh, I think we should probably put a pin in that one. But I mean, I'm just saying we. Oh, oh, oh I see what you did. Okay, because <laughs> mm-hmm. we just did the thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I agree. But that's an interesting uh, avenue to explore for sure. Yeah, handmade so tale. Anyway, I think that's all I got. Point. Well, I would. I want to add one last thing before we wrap this fucker up, because uh, we didn't bring up the master of the the sequel, uh, James Cameron, who did not only one solid sequel that surpassed, but two. Uh, solid sequels uh, Did he? He did. I, I don't think the oh, Terminator three. Two. Three. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that Terminator Two is better than Terminator One. I would. I, I did. Do. I don't know. Nah. So that's nope. so we're in the Empire versus Star well, Wars category. Well, right? yeah, okay. we'll have that argument someday. We'll put a pin in that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. In all of the Terminators, nothing beats the first one. Everything yep. after that is what we're talking about with. Khan coming up with the good ideas that get rehashed. God. That was just the first time they rehashed the good ideas from the first well, one. Well, I will say this, what, that James what Cameron was, was on one? record. Aliens. A- okay. Aliens. Yeah. Uh, aliens and Piranha wins. too. Uh, <laughs> but I will say this, that uh, James Cameron is on record saying that he was influenced by Mad Max and the Road Warrior for making Terminator. So ultimately, you couldn't have this argument without having Mad Max. You mean you mean James Cameron admitted to not having made something genius that influenced his great mind to Apparently, make? Unless the uh, internet lied to me when I read that I, somewhere. I wish he would go down to the Titanic and stay there. <laughs> There's an episode of the- Future Man that you need to watch, Eric. You need to watch season one of Future Man on Hulu. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. All right. So if you've got suggestions for shows that are better than this one or sequels that, that were better than the originals that we didn't cover Good or luck. controversial <laughs> statements like T2 is uh, not better than T1, then you can hit us up. Uh, go to our website, maghuge.com. Uh, there you can find links to our Twitter handle. We're at maghuge. You can find links to our Facebook page, The Magnificently Huge Podcast, and you can find all of our older episodes uh, check us out. Go to your podcast apps. Give us ratings. Share the episodes with your friends. Spread the love. Spread the word. And come back next week for more rambling bullshit with the three of us. 